Get the duck boats ready. Get the duck boats ready. We got the cup. Duck and yellow, duck and yellow. You want to talk about a team? This is a team. You guys wanted it. We got it. Let's have some fun. Cue the memories presented by Bud Light. What's up, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of Cue the Memories presented by Bud Light. Andrew Ferentz, I'm, I'm watching Nesson during uh, the first round, and your voice is on these commercials pumping everybody up. You're, you're taking over the world here this spring between the, the, uh, the face all over TNT, now you're on commercials, podcasts. I mean, you're having a revival here. It, it, all thanks to you, bud. I, I should have had you as my agent my whole career. I would have had like endorsement deals left and right. Yeah, well, you have a good voice for it. You got you got the tone. It's it's coming. The radio voice is coming together. I think the 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 memo to me was a little more growly or something like that. Like you actually have to accentuate the radio voice, which is Some more drama. Which feels which feels odd when you're recording in you know your cold room with the door shut so your family doesn't think you're a nut nutcase. Well, that's the next thing you need is a studio, a home yeah. studio. We'll see. We'll, well get there. we have another great guest with us today. Gregory Campbell will join us. Uh, Fair, what can you tell us about who everybody calls Soupy? Everybody doesn't call him Soupy. We, we, I call him Gare. He's, uh, but All that's, right. uh, that's another story. But uh, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll call him Soupy for the sake of the podcast or else it'll get a little confusing here. The listeners will know him as Soupy. Yeah, you know, actually... Uh, I, I probably owe Soupy an apology because I know there there is actually a, a really contentious thing between the two of us. And I should probably just get it out of the way right off the bat. Um, I forget which year it was, but it was it was right in the height of, you know, Boston Bruins mania. And, you know, you know, everybody loved us and stuff like this. You know, it's it great. We we're all just kind of walking around with our our heads held high you know, through the city of Boston. Um, but my head was held a little higher because I was actually named uh, Boston's most fashionable um, uh, Bruin, but I know that's a sore spot for Soupy because uh, he truly was the most fashionable of all of us. Um, mm-hmm. he, he brought in the the skinny pants way before skinny pants were cool. Um, you know, he had the nice shoes. He was always well done. So, you know, Soupy is a stylish guy. He he was a good influence, I think, on on many Bruins. If you see uh, pa- Pasta walking down the hall with mm-hmm. his uh, his white suit, that would have been Soupy had had the floodgates open to good fashion in the hockey world, but he was ahead of his time, um, you know, for sure when we we're playing. So there's that side of Soupy. And then there's the other side of, of him just being, you know, the warrior that I think most people know him as, right. You know, mm-hmm. kind of sacrificing himself for the team, you know, no matter what, if it was, um, you know, I'm not calling him small by any means, but he was a lot smaller than a lot of the guys that he would line up against to fight and, and, and go after, yeah, super tough guy. Uh, definitely punched above his weight. We all remember him, you know, blocking shots and playing out the rest of his shift with a broken broken foot. That's that's just who he was. Um, so, yeah, fashionable, hard ass. Uh, is that that's a appropriate label? <laughs> I like that label. Yeah, I mean that's what I was thinking too. Like the first couple games of the second round at the Garden were as loud. Uh, as I, I've ever heard it, and I've been in the building for some big moments. And, and one of those moments I was thinking back to was Soupy's shift. And, you know, obviously for him it, it wasn't a great moment, but the building, I remember just, you know, by the end of that shift he was getting a standing ovation. His name, there, you know, the fans are chanting Campbell, Campbell, right? Like that's 
they appreciated that. Like the Boston fans, there's something about that kind of play, that toughness, that grittiness, right, that they love that team so much. And I think uh, Gregory sort of embodied that, right? And, and I thought that moment, even though it was in 2011, it was, it was in the 13 run, that sort of, you know, says it all about him and, and you know, the Merlot line and that group and, and why they were appreciated so much because the fans, you know, they loved that. They loved that sacrifice and, and you know, that effort that goes a long way. And I think, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not in every market does the fourth line uh, get that kind of appreciation and that love from the fan base, but certainly in, in Boston, uh, him and Thordy and, and Pisey and guys throughout the years have, have gotten that appreciation uh, from the Boston fans. Not, you nailed it. Well, let's get Supi on. My wife says I talk too much on this podcast, so <laughs> I'm going to shut up. No I'm not going to add to that. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's a podcast. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed we're to supposed talk. to talk. Yeah, but I think we're supposed to let the guests talk more. So I'm going to bring Supi on and just let him, because he's a, he's a, a chatterbox. So uh, we, we'll just wind him up and let him go. Perfect. So we'll talk to Gregory Campbell right after this on Cue the Memories presented by Bud Light. Cue the Memories, brought to you by Bud Light. Score exclusive merch and more at BudLightLegends.com. And we're back on Cue the Memories with this episode's special guest, Gregory Campbell. Soupy, what's up, man? Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hello, Soupy. You can't game face us right off the bat. That's the other thing I should have I should have mentioned Russo is is if there's anything that Supi does better than anybody on that team, it's called a game face and a game face. I know there's a small video component to this podcast and and I don't know I don't, he probably won't do it for us now, but a game face is basically when you just like no expression, just kind of like looking at you dead like you're an idiot. So uh, Supi game face is better than than anybody I've ever known. That's uh, he's very well, famous for that. I'm gonna have to spend the next ten minutes defending myself here, but um, <laughs> I will go back to one thing you said. Uh, the first comment you made, fair, um, in regards to the most stylish man in Boston, because that that hit a nerve once again. <laughs> you, well, you did scra- scraping off that scab, eh? You did nail it when you said the. Uh, the the Boston fans are you know a, a loyal group of people in the entire city, the surrounding areas. I will say that uh, Boston might not even be in the top thirty of uh, most stylish cities in the United States. So if <laughs> oh, you're going to take that, Just if that's going to really win it, winning over the fan base here, Supi. Hey, I told you I love them, but the guys in Southie they need some work on their on their style. So um, <laughs> you know if you're going to take it, if it's in New York City or LA, I might I would be a little bit more rattled but um but no this is great i you, you know you, you touched on we just keep uh milking this and that's that's the truth but how can we not it's such a great group of guys it's, it's awesome to get together with you guys and if, if it's not it's not coming from a facetime at two in the morning from luch how would we how would we see each other right so i will add soupy to the list the good list you know the good good and naughty list he's on the good list he does pick up when luch calls uh, <laughs> he's very reliable in that sense at all hours i love that it's it's you, me, sides. Well, you're not you're not always there, but it's pretty much me and sides. What do you mean I'm not always there? Come on, <laughs> I might have missed one. Maybe I missed one. Yeah. Um, so so where do we find you, Supi? What's up? We're 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 kind of catching up, obviously, and t- telling old stories about uh, about how great we were, but we also kind of want to know where we're at now. I know uh, another guy and in, still involved in hockey. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. If, have we talked to anybody that's just like a florist or? 
you know, like <laughs> selling real estate or I don't know, like something. I don't think we so. haven't. Everybody's involved in hockey. What are you doing, Soupy? Yeah, no, I'm I'm up in Ontario. Uh, I came back here after I retired, and um, it's uh, we're still in lockdown. Believe it or not, it's a little bit frustrating watching these playoff games when um, you know when there's eighteen thousand people in the building, and you go to Toronto and there's five hundred and fifty. So it's it's tough. But um, I'm I'm up in Ontario here. Um, I actually just got back from Florida when I retired. I uh, I, I started working with Columbus. It was the last team I played for in player development, and then. Uh, it was about three and a half years there. Um, our uh, our assistant GM in Columbus, Bill Zito, got the got the GM job in, in Florida, and he brought me with him uh, at the end of August uh, of 2020. So we've been we've been chipping away there, trying to make. Uh, um, you know, I'm still in development, player personnel, um, working with the Panthers. So we're trying to get that organization going here. They had a great year. Uh, we're proud of it, but we still got a lot of work to do. That's a, that's a very good answer. Um, Supi is going to be the next GM of any of us that played. <laughs> who, who, I don't know if we I have like to that. categorize. Yeah, who do we have to categorize? Like what role everybody's going to play? I think Luch is probably Luch is probably like a good assistant coach. Uh, Z Z is probably the owner. Supi's definitely the GM. He, he's a smart man, and that's not even like haha. Like he just is. He's, he's he knows his stuff. Wow. He knows his players. No, you do. Yeah. You, you know, you know your guys, and and I mean, you you lasted a long time in the league, and uh, you you're very knowledgeable about the game, uh, very knowledgeable about opponents, um, and I think uh, you know we're pretty good about you know knowing not just strengths of guys, but also weaknesses, right? So I think uh, yeah, it, it's good. I'm I'm proud of you, man. It's it's uh, uh, good for you, and I think your your future's bright. I'm, yeah, I'm sucking up. I'm sucking up now, just in case I need a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean we got there's a bunch of guys that are on on a, on a great path right now, and in, in, in hockey, and not just the the hockey side. Uh, I saw I saw Thority the other day in Florida, and he's just killing it down there. He's he's made that uh, that arena and that that um, hockey culture. It's buzzing right now. So a lot of guys are doing well. But I got you know I got a passion for the game. I've been in it my whole life. Um, it's um, you know I've 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 been around good people uh, I think that's the most important thing is when you learn from from good people and, and good teammates and and uh, you take it all in you take all your experiences in so um you know it, it's well we, uh, you know as as well as anyone fair we're, we're fortunate to stay in here there's a lot of guys looking for jobs in hockey still so I'm, I'm fortunate but there's a long way to go I'm I'm just trying to learn uh and um it's it's not a race for me I just want to do it the proper way and, and I'm enjoying my time so you had a uh, obviously your 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 dad has been in the NHL for forever, as far as uh, uh, you know being involved in the league in one one form or another. So you grew up in a hockey house, obviously, um, but like as far as you know your path and like how you got here, like what was that like? Like as a kid, were you the superstar that was dancing circles around people, or did you have to like grind it out, or did you have to change your game? Um, how did you make like how did you make it? Yeah, I mean. I I was pr- a pretty unorthodox way just because I was I was following my dad around and and we moved uh, plenty of times so I had to make the most of it obviously my mom was a rock star and and um, you know like like most hockey moms uh, my dad was you know his head was buried in in, in the game and, and she had to drag me around and and we actually uh, spent a bulk of our time in New York and he was assistant coach there in the 90s about eight years so um, back then I mean. 
the, the, the minor hockey was okay. It wasn't like it is now, but you know, it was, it was okay, but you, you had to travel. So, you know, I was going to tournaments all over the place in, in Connecticut and in Boston actually, and, and Detroit, even up in Toronto. So, I mean, it was, uh, it, it was definitely not easy for me to find good competition. Um, the one thing I be- I did benefit from was I always got to go to the rink with my dad and tag along since I was, you know, since I was one or two years old. And one of my first memories actually uh, going to practice with my dad, it, it was actually at Joe Lewis and uh, they had an open, open practice. And I might've been probably four at the time. I had my dad threw a Jolfa bucket on me, like the one that Wayne Gretzky wears with the half visor. Nice. <laughs> no cage, <laughs> no nothing. And he just, he just pushed me out on the ice and, you know, the, the team hadn't been out on the ice yet. There's whatever, there's 10,000 people for the open practice there. I was buzzing around on the ice, like didn't even have a care in the world, you know, just doing laps. Um, but I got, I got to take advantage of that, that sort of ice time. And even when we were in New York, I was always after school, I was, I was at the rink and, and um, grabbing extra, extra ice time. So, um, you know, I was, I was, I was good, but I wasn't, uh, maybe when I was younger, I was, I was better than most, but as I, as I got older into the junior, uh, leagues and whatnot, it was, you know, I had to work my way up from, you know, first year in the OHL being a fourth line player in that lineup to the last year I was, I was pretty good, but that, that was kind of the way I, I, my trajectory in my entire career. So, um, but it was good. I mean, I, I, that's, that's why I made it was because I, I had that uh, work ethic instilled in me. I was hungry to make it. And, and I mean, I don't think I would have made it if it was uh, just skill-based. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it would have been cool, but I'm not, it was never that, just that skill-based. I see guys yeah. now and I'm, it just blows my mind. I can't even, I can't even wrap my head around how skilled uh, some of the players are now. And I, I feel, I watch our games and our games are entertaining, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad I, I came into the league when I did because my hands aren't aren't built for today's game. No, you know, like it, it, there's still value in that. And as you see today, everyone's looking for the, the next guy that, that can, you know, that can play that physical game but has that skill. I'm not saying they'll ever change from the skill. But now, you know, you it, the way the, the minor leagues are based, it's, it's all around that, right? The way people train, the, the summer routines and whatnot, it's, uh, it's not, you know, dump the puck in the corner and, and battle it out one-on-one in August, you know, and I'm not saying that's the way it should be totally, but uh, you know, there's a lot of stick handling and, and, and skill-based drills that these kids are growing up with. So I still think there's value in, and, and having a little old school uh, nest to you, you know? Well, it really is that too, right? Like, I mean, um, sorry, sorry, Russo. I know that uh, we got to talk about 2011 at some point, but um, <laughs> no. The story leading up to that's important too. But I told you he's a smart guy. It's fun to actually talk hockey with somebody that, Absolutely. that, knows, what that knows what they're talking about. Um, but but you're right there, right? Like I mean, I think it's it's uh, it's finding, you know, finding the what can make you stand out from the crowd, right? And what kind of sets you apart from what everybody else is doing. So if everybody if everybody's skilled and has crazy hands, and you come in and know how to you know fly like the wind and, and be physical, there's a good value to that, right? And, and and so as a segue to, to somewhat tie this to our podcast, um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I think that, uh, that, you know, as a team, you know, as the Bruins, like, you know, yeah, we could have just went out and played like everybody else. Um, one of the, one of the things that I actually, you know, remember us kind of bragging to ourselves about uh, was how we were such an adaptable team, right? Like if we needed to win by, you know, having a shootout and scoring a bunch of goals and being fairly skilled, you know, we could do that. 
Like, you, you know, even even our, our toughest guys, like you see, you see Thority with his backhand toe drag, um, you know, breakaway goals. You see Soupy putting in good goals. You know, we could win, uh, you know, with a shootout and, and, and going going against each other with a high, you know, high scoring game. Or, or we could duke it out, right? And just absolutely, uh, you know, make teams submissive to, to our physicality. So it was, uh, is that a segue to 2011? Perhaps, right? I, I, I think so. I think we can fast forward. How about we fast forward to the spring of 2010, though? Uh, the trade from Florida. Soupy, what did you uh, know about the Bruins at that point, and what was your reaction uh, to the trade when it went down? I, I was I was very surprised actually. Um, I was uh, uh, RFA or search free agent going into that summer, and uh, we had just switched uh, GMs. Dale Talon came in for the first time in Florida, and so I had a good conversation with Dale. I was coming off the two years before that. I was coming off a great year. Pete DeBoer was a first year coach, and then the following year was one of those years where ups and downs, and I couldn't score. But you know, it was still a pretty year, good year. The team wasn't as good, but when I had the conversation with Dale, it was um, it was positive. He was like, you know, let's try to get something done here. And and next time I heard from him was that like a couple of days or a day before the draft that you got traded. So yeah, I mean, I was surprised. In Boston, you know, and, and Fair can attest to this. When you're growing up, and you you know, you have you whatever there's scouts to talk to you during the game um when you're in junior or um you know you have your your nhl combine for the draft and you have your interviews and you, you know you everyone takes note of that and, and and you know who's interested in me all montreal has always liked me or whatever it is honestly i don't even know if i've i was ever interviewed or talked to a boston scout ever um that you know i thought that i was drafted in 2002 and it's in 2010 so that might not make um there, there might not be a point to that but regardless i I was uh, I was I was shocked, um, but uh, once it started to sink in, you know, original six where I where I you know how I grew up and how in love I was with the game and the hockey culture in general. Uh, my dad coached for two original sixes, Detroit and New York. I I was just I unbelievably excited. You know, I was the guy. I might have been the throw-in, but uh, I always say it was Dennis Wyman in first round for for Nate Hart and myself. So it must have been the first round for me and and <laughs> and, and Wide's first priority. <laughs> so, uh, but no, it was uh, it was great. And then, um, you know, I I remember I was at a buddy's bachelor party that summer. I'm getting off topic here, but uh, about a month later in Chicago, and we were sitting at the um, the Cubbies game there and and it was a Saturday afternoon and I don't know you guys have probably been to a Cubs game but I was just looking around and coming um you know it was what a sports city and I was just like I kind of got goosebumps right away thinking like this is where I'm going to to a place that 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 um you know rivals this for sure so I was I was very excited well and I think you fit in immediately because you know the the one kind of battle cry that we had um, you know, in Boston was that we wanted to, you know, restore that pride in, in, in the Bruins logo, right? And in the, in, in the culture that surrounded the team, we wanted, you know, fans to show up to a game, uh, our games and uh, wear the Bruins stuff with pride, but also, you know, walk away from the, from the garden every night, you know, whether we won or lost, just proud of, you know, who we were as a team. And so you just, you know, from a, from a playing standpoint, you know, the way you showed up on the, on the ice and, and, you know, demonstrated your skill, your toughness, your commitment, all that stuff. I mean, that's exactly what we're trying to build, right. And exactly what our fans wanted. Um, but also just from like the, a personal standpoint, I know, uh, you know, everybody takes it, you know, 
takes it to heart and has a personal, you know, kind of connection to that pride. But I think you, especially, you know, you really, you know, you didn't, you didn't fake it. You weren't just kind of showing up and like, Oh, I'm playing for what team. All right. Like I'll go out and kind of do the stuff. Uh, but you actually had that deep care for, you know, for the team. And, and I think it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword sometimes as an athlete to, you know, make it really personal and to, you know, get, you know, emotionally connected to the team just because we know how sports are, right. You know, you can, you can be traded the next day and you can, you know, be in and out of the lineups and it can, it can do a toll on your, uh, on your emotions if you make it too personal. But, but I think for a lot of us, you know, we shared, you know, we shared some of that, but, um, you know, that's another thing that sticks out for me with you is that it was personal, you know, the pride in the Jersey, you know, having fans care, you know, bringing, bringing the Bruins, you know, culture and, you know, our standing in, in the city up to a level that we, th- we thought it should be at. Like, it wasn't just kind of a slogan on a shirt for you. Like, it, it actually really mattered. And I think that's what kind of endeared you to all of us so quickly is that you could tell, you know, you can't fake that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To, I mean, a few things on that, on those points. Um, uh, I, I had come from winning a Memorial Cup, which so did you. Fair. Congrats. Um, <laughs> And then humble brag there. I like it. This is a good guest. And then, <laughs> and then, well, we, we won the thing. Remember Luch? He, 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 he always, he always gets a little bit fired up when we say, well, he had to, they had yeah, to, he had, he had a shift. we don't go. We, oh yeah. He had the shift. I got the text the other day, but anyways, um, um, I had gone. So then I went seven years without playing a playoff game, two years in the Myers, five years in the NHL. So, um, it was a struggle. And, and as you know, fair, when you play on teams that, um, you know, that, that aren't, super good you struggle to find your identity and those role guys they they they, it's hard for them because um you know winning teams have those set roles and everyone buys in and plays those that way that's you know everybody knows that so when so when we got to uh to to boston i i yeah boston was tailor made for me but i'll always say this and 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 pumping fair tires here you know we had those uh we had that group uh uh, team building thing in Vermont, and it'll, and it'll never leave my mind when when you said that uh, we need a team that that everybody respects everybody's role, and that's that's honestly, you know, rare to find on teams where you you have a guy, you know, as good of a player as as Bergy is, he respects a, a guy that is a 13th forward, a 12th forward, an eighth defenseman, just as much as he respects Marshy or Rex and or, or Z, so. It was that was so true about our team, and, and Fair said that, and and I'll never forget it. And I was like, and that stuck with me. And then obviously, when you put the uh, you put the jersey on, um, it you know it, it, you can't help but um, you can't help but uh, just bleed the colors for the city. And and um, yeah, it was uh, I, it was awesome. I can't I don't know any other word to describe it. Yeah. Well, and that only works if it's actually authentic, right? And, and, and it's yeah. so true. Like, it, it guys actually did believe it. And we had the support of the coaches and GMs to make sure that the right people were on the team that did buy into that, right? So it, it really was kind of throughout the organization, that belief that, yeah, ultimate respect for every single role out there. Well, Supi, I was going to ask you, you know, you had a career high in goals that first year. I was going to ask you why, but I think uh, you might have just answered that. But you know, you come in, you have all that success. Uh, was it just a matter of, you know, being able to thrive in that environment that you were able to put up, you know, the numbers that you did and have the success uh, with that Merlot line? 
Yeah. I mean, I think that was a huge thing. I, like I said, I, two, two years before that I had 13 and then the next year I couldn't, couldn't buy a goal till February. So fair knows what it's like sometimes when you just like, you know, you're going to the next season and the expectations are a little lower. And, um, but I was, it was probably just that, like, I didn't really have any expectations to, to produce points there. You know, it was, we had expectations to, to play a role and, and most times it, that ends up, um, working in your favor, you know, production wise. So, um, you know, I, I had good chemistry with my line mates. It started with, uh, authority and, and, and Marshy and then Paisy slipped in there and, you know, we just had good, good chemistry. Um, the coaching staff and Claude had value in us. They had confidence. If we get, got scored on, we go right back out. A lot of fourth lines, they get scored on. They don't see the ice anymore. So, you know, we had confidence. He'd put us out against top lines. Um, and, and that goes a long way as a player. So, um, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was a, a handful of things, but um, I was having fun. I mean, when you're having fun, you're, you're usually the most successful and productive. Is Mer- Merlot line? Does it was that named like by just because fa- it's a fashionable name, and you you probably thought it sounded better than maroon, or I is that for the authorities' <laughs> love of wine? Is it's either wine exactly, or fashion? That's exactly what it was. We were at Rustisha there, and uh, and it was like one of the first practices. And Claude says for the Burgundy line or whatever to go over there, and 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 authorities said Merlot. So <laughs> that makes sense. Sounds classy. I mean, you could do worse than Burgundy, though. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was maroon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I forget. Uh, yeah. What was it like to build the identity of that line, though? You know, obviously the Merlot part of it, you know, has the aura with the fans and and all that, but just you know, the hockey side of it to to sort of build that line up to where, like you said, you were dependent on. Uh, in in huge situations throughout the game, uh, what was that process like with Thorny and and Pisey and Marshy even at the beginning to to, to sort of build that identity? It was um, I don't I'm not going to say we are the first team that to roll four lines because that's that's not true. But I do think that we we kind of brought it back into relevance, and and given the fact that the playoffs are just so hard, the regular season's hard, and the playoffs are a lot harder. I mean, you can't win without four lines. Um, just go back in, in time now and, or, or go or jump ahead of time after we won and see and look at the teams and look at how their, how their lines were played. And you're always going to have a discrepancy uh, between the, the ice time. No question. You got to have your, your, your best players play the most and, and play the biggest role. But, um, you know, I just think that, uh, as Fair said, it was how our team was built. Um, I think I think he he was extremely accurate when he said that. Um, you know, I think our our team was a, a pretty solid team when you look back at it, considering the fact that we we actually did have speed. I think everything was just overlooked because we were so tough and so big and so hard. Um, but every single one of those guys um, were, uh, were were good hockey players as well. So. Um, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was a credit to, like I said, the coaching staff and Claude, Claude, Claude liked using four, four lines. You know, he liked the defensive style of play. He, he liked responsible players and responsible lines. So um, it, it fit to our game. Do you, uh, you, you didn't play seven years, Memorial Cup, then there's no playoffs. And then finally, like we make it and you're zipping over to the rink to play the Montreal Canadiens in the first round. Do you remember just having 
crazy butterflies like was was the heart rate at like 180 before you even stepped on the ice at that, that uh first playoff game um yeah and i'll tell you i i remember skating around it was the first day after the regular season we had our practice there in Wilmy and i remember just skating around like Claude did 15 minutes of laps there and and um <laughs> i uh i got warmed up man i I felt so grateful that I was on the ice because it's been so long, you know, every day, those were usually the day after the the team parties and, and grabbing your stuff. So, um, I, I just honestly had a really grateful feeling that day and, uh, the weather started to get nicer there in Boston. We had the doors open in the gym. Um, so, you know, that was kind of the first feeling for me. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, what better opponent to play, um, than Montreal. Now I will say, my mom and my sister were down for the first two games and and obviously after we we ended up going down to nothing um we had dinner afterwards and i felt like i just wanted to crawl in a hole like you know i waited this long to to play in the playoffs and now we're going to get swept you know how that feeling goes so um that that was disappointing but yeah i mean the and i you know when i first got to boston i don't know how early it was before we maybe we played them in preseason i don't know but i, I remember Claude having a talk with us uh in in the circle after practice i think it, we might have played them in exhibition and just saying like i don't care what what time of year it is this is always a rivalry so i knew about the rivalry right off the hop so that series ends with with nathan horton obviously being the hero you had played with him uh in florida you came with him in the trade did you know that he was sort of made for that kind of moment that he would thrive in, in Boston as well with obviously all the success he had in that playoff run. What, what, how did you think he would fit in uh, when that trade went down? I mean, I, I know I, I knew uh, Horty pretty well. Uh, he was after you after me, but we kind of came up together in the organization, lived together at times. And um, I always viewed Horty as an unbelievable, unbelievable player. Like there was just nothing he couldn't do well. You know, I think going back to certain certain environments bring out the best in people and um it certainly brought out the best in him i think he felt comfortable with his teammates you know i think he he was he he did have a a great amount of skill but he he was a strong tough guy and and i mean i think he it was just it just fit for him and then obviously the the natural chemistry with his line mates um we had never really been in 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 a a situation like that so but he was always a great player. He, he scored 25 goals in Florida every year with his eyes closed. So, um, you know, I, I'm not surprised at the value he brought to that team um, and, and how key he was in, in those clutch situations. And along those lines, uh, going backwards a little bit. So Marshy starts the season with you on the fourth line. He ends the season scoring two goals in game seven. Uh, what did you think of him at the beginning of the year when he's on the fourth line? Did you see that skill? Did you did you have an idea that he may turn into what he turned into? And fast forward to now, he's he's an MVP candidate. What did you see early on there in that season when he was on your line? I don't often give him credit, but <laughs> he was a, a very, very, very easy player to play with. Um, you know, he made Thornton and I better, no question. Um, he's one of those guys that you just – all we had to do was give him the puck, you know, and he just, then he created stuff from there. I did, I didn't think that he was going to have the level of success, not, not nothing against, uh, nothing against him at all, but because he's simply a superstar now, like that's all he is. Like he's top, top five players in my opinion, in the league. 
with Bergie, um, just how valuable they are. Um, I, I watch games now and I just marvel at how good they are and, and they still keep getting better. I, I, have, I have no idea how it's, you know, and obviously fair knows that, that they're both committed people and, and athletes. There's probably no more committed people than those guys. So, um, it's, uh, but just, it's crazy. I mean, we just, we talked about the games getting faster and more skill they're adapting and they're, they're leading the charge. So, um, yeah, he was, a, he was a really easy player. I was, I was sad to, to see him go and that's not a knock to Paisy because he came in and filled the role. Great. Uh, but you see how good Marshy is and, and, and how good that the chemistry has been with Bergie for, for 10 years now, 11 years. So. Hey, he's, he's got just a different level of, of, well, I mean, if there's a few guys from that team, right. And they all have had very long careers, but their, their level of pride is one that doesn't uh, get in the way of their progress. Like it's not that cockiness that they think that they're so great and <laughs> that they don't really need to do all the work. Um, it's more that that fear like it's almost like a i think it, it manifests itself almost like a, a fear of not being great and a, and a fear of not uh um yeah i don't know being res- you know, i don't know if it's being respected or whatever it is but uh, just that that pride in in being the best and wanting the puck and i want the puck on my stick and i want to be the game changer and at the end of the game like i want to be the one that everybody's relying on to put the puck in the net like there's a few guys and, you know, they don't fake it, right? Like that's just a for real part of who they are and, and, and their character. And, and I think that's, that really sets, you know, sets some of those guys apart and why they can still be so great, you know, even this late in their career. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, I think Marshall will admit it for sure too, is that the team that was built around him was, was perfect for him and in uh, his character. I mean, he always had Doherty keeping him in check. Um, we had great leaders. Fair and, and Rex and, and Z and Bergie that were always, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't mess around as a young guy. And if you got out of line and, 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 and got, and you know, got ahead of yourself a little bit, you'd always be put in check, but the work ethic from Marshy was, was always there. He, you know, he'd stay on the ice an hour after practice. He would stay in the gym. He was, he was committed and he has that perfect amount of that perfect amount of confidence as an athlete to, um, you know, just to, to, take things on the chin when, when things aren't going well and, and keep going. Um, so he's, uh, he's a special guy. I mean, if you, if you don't know him, it, um, it's, uh, you know, you might have a different opinion, but if you know him, I think everyone speaks uh, extremely high, high of, uh, of Marshy. So Soupy, I got a question. I should have done my research, but was your Stanley cup, the first Stanley cup uh, for the Campbell household? No, it was not. It was, uh, my dad won it in 94 as assistant under Keenan. Ah, all right. Yeah. So I touched it. So I guess that's not true. I slept with it. So you, you, your dad won it and you, you slept with the cup. Yeah. When he, when he got it back then you were allowed Man. to keep it. Right. And, uh, that's pretty awesome. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So you're busting myths. So you can touch the cup and still <laughs> win it later on in life. It worked for me. So we, so we get to the finals, um, we, we kind of do a lot of fast forwards here in this podcast. We, it's, <laughs> I mean, we've, you know, we talk, we talk about it a lot, but, uh, the one, the one thing that never gets really old about talking is just kind of the feelings that you have going into game seven, obviously the ups and downs and the crazy emotions of, you know, not just, you know, playoffs or even that series itself, but of, you know, our whole time together, right. Uh, the whole season in Boston, the whole build up to that, you get to the the last day of the season where there is no tomorrow. Uh, do you remember, like, 
tossing and turning at night or having a great sleep or were you up there enjoying a, a glass of wine with uh, with your fellow Merlot uh, uh, line mate uh, and and Rex or what was your what was your preparation looking like? Um, I switched it up a bit. I think the day before. I remember we got in there. We had the practice. Um, the nerves were okay the night before for me. It was the five o'clock game, sitting around, not going to the rink, not doing my routine that kind of got me. Um, but you know, I went for a walk and and was sitting on the bench there down by the water. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different things. And uh, ironically, I was YouTubing in the room. Segs was my roommate. And um, he was just cool as a cucumber watching his uh, his his, uh, his movies. Um, but I was YouTubing videos from 94, actually, when the Rangers won. Um, to kind of calm me down and get me, and get me fired up at the same time. So, um, but um, we shared a cab on the way to the game, didn't we? Oh, probably. Yeah, we usually yeah, went to, we usually went to the rink around the same time. Yeah, that was that was funny. Uh, we, were, we were just kind of crawling through the crowd there. D's head was touching the roof. <laughs> People stared at us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a long day for me. That it, it was the night before was fine, but the day of was uh, it was a lot of a lot of anxious uh, energy there. I would say. Well, you slept with a cop. You had a relationship, a previous relationship with a cop. And uh, <laughs> with a couple minutes left in the game, you knew that you could be reacquainted. Were you just beside yourself? Uh, you know, I'm assuming you had some family in the crowd that you, you know that that was uh, <laughs> probably ecstatic. But uh, what was going through your head? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was the same for for all of us when Marshy scored the uh, the fourth goal. I I, I don't think. Uh, like we were so dialed in and, uh, and I just remember that. I don't know if you do, but like the entire game, even when we were up three, nothing, even when we were up, was it two, nothing going in the third or three? Oh, come on. Ask don't, ask me, don't ask me those things. Yeah. Gotta, gotta ask Luch that one. But um, anyways, it was like the second period intermission, just like normal. Everyone was just going on, on, you know, business as usual, even right up to the fourth goal. I think uh, once that was, once that happened, it was like, wow, this is actually really happening. So, um, yeah, I was uh, a little bit in shock. It was almost like we, we went in there, and I, I felt that way actually when we we had the we had the uh, cup on the bus there on the way out. We had they had to shoo us out of there, unfortunately, a little bit too quickly. But it was like we we walked into the city and stole the thing almost, you know, like it wasn't supposed to be ours. And we're like, let's get that out of here, you know, with the cup. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how it felt like to me. But um, yeah, what a ride that was. And you didn't game face. I actually remember you uh, grabbing the cup for your for your little lap there. And, and uh, I, I, I really I do have a great memory of you just looking like a little kid, probably like uh, not too different from 94 of, of just this awe of, of lifting it above your head. But man, you could see that pride shine through. That was a, uh, I have a good memory of, of, of watching you do that. Uh, I, I, I sometimes I watch it on, on uh, you know, whatever, what the YouTube clips and uh I just remember just the booze. I think I was booed the loudest. <laughs> and then I just start then I just start screaming louder. So <laughs> it kind of forgot me fired up. Yeah. But Yeah, that's good. What did you uh what did you do with the cup? Your day with it. You didn't um, get to we only get we have to give it back at night, so you couldn't uh, you couldn't have another sleepover with it, but Yeah, I, I brought it um I brought it to my house which uh which is in Waterloo and it's about forty five minutes from my parents' uh, farm. So we, um, um, I brought it here and some friends and family, uh, 
um, got to, got to see it and then brought it to the hospital and children's hospital and, uh, brought it to the, to the kitchen ranger, ranger auditorium there where I played junior. And, um, then we brought it home. I drove it home. I, I, I told the guy, I'll take this. He drove behind me. I threw it in the front seat of my car, strapped it in, was praying to get a, a speeding ticket, <laughs> 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 the Stanley cup in the, uh, in the front seat. That was awesome though. Like that 45 minute ride, just me and the Stanley cup cruising down the 401. But, uh, and then we had a party at my house, uh, similar to not the same barn, but my, my dad, when he wanted cleaned out the barn and we had this big barn party with, with all the, you know, all our family and stuff. So it was a similar, um, a similar kind of night at another barn, like I said, but an outdoor party. And, uh, yeah, it was cool. It was awesome. Well, and if you missed anything, you get, you can get a redo with uh, winning as a GM or something like that. So, in case you missed anything, <laughs> uh, we'll see. Hopefully. So, speaking of uh, partying, we'll wrap it up here with some rapid fire fare. Uh, Soupy, we've been asking everybody this, but there's the famous night at Foxwoods, the bill that went viral on the internet. There were a lot of Bud Lights on that bill. Who was drinking all of them that night? Well, it wasn't me, but I mean, if you, I'm just trying to I'm trying to think who would be the guy in our on our team. I don't think it was Z either. No chance. Well, what were you drinking? What wasn't I drinking? So <laughs> <laughs> we had the martinis. Oh, extra, extra dry, two olives. He's a sophisticated man. Yeah, no, I I won't say who I think was drinking the Bud Lights, but wasn't me. So Soupy. <laughs> Another question that we've been asking people, but I probably already know the answer is, is, um, you know, for our, our mental health, sometimes you need to get away from the game and just have a good relaxing time. So in Boston, we've been asking what guys getaway spots were to, to just kind of relax and get away from the game. But I think we could probably just find you on Newberry street, right? Trying on belts. Yeah. I was going to say Barney's or Saks Fifth Ave. Um, one of those places. Yeah. I would ride my bike down there. I'd park my car and, and, and just cruise the strip there and go in and out of uh, fancy boutiques. I lived for a while. I lived uh, in Back Bay and on Beacon Street there. And so I was hopping a skip away from the uh, the river there. So I, I, I did a lot of biking through Boston as you did fair and not as intensely, but, um, um, but I, I did, I, I went down, I went all over the city, um, lo- all the little streets and the cool little cobblestone streets and Beacon Hill and whatnot. So, I loved it. Like, I absolutely loved it. That's right. You were a member of the, the, the bike gang. We had a good little bike gang there. We, I, I think at one time we showed up for practice and there might have been seven or eight bikes parked outside the rink and it blew my mind. I was like, this team's the, my favorite team in the history of the universe. <laughs> well, let's be honest, Soupy. Both both you and I are cheap enough to know a good deal when we see one and, and uh, not having to pay for parking in Boston is a pretty good deal. So. We, we got it. We're smart. I, I got a question about, uh, we'll go back to the uh, Zoom reunion last spring. You and Marshy chirped each other pretty good. Did you guys always have a relationship like that? Were you always chirping each other in the room or what was that like? Always. Yeah, it was, uh, we, uh, you know, we, we have a good friendship and we get along very well, but there's nothing that makes me happier and gets me more excited than having a, a one-on-one with him. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it was great. That was a great great night. It's a very unique thing, in, in, and not every room has it. Not every team has it, and definitely a lot of people don't have it. 
And I think my my family would remind me of it once in a while. They would, they would just say, remember, this isn't the locker room because there's <laughs> ample sarcasm, <laughs> just like some biting criticism, a way too much honesty sometimes, but done in a way to kind of, you know, get your point across. But it's a magical thing when you have a group of guys that can actually give and take equally. Um, and that's when you get you get true magic happening. Supi was good at that, but you couldn't go at him too hard. He'd come back ten times harder. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. think we saw it's a dangerous, that for sure. It's a dangerous game. He he knows which buttons to press. <laughs> <laughs> well, the bond that that made it all work, I think, uh, for that special group. Gregory Campbell, thanks so much uh, for joining us and and remembering ten years later the 2011 Boston Bruins. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Supi, love you, man. It's always good to see you. Good luck. Uh, Good luck in your journey, your hockey journey. I'm sure we'll talk before uh, you win your next cup, but uh, I'm calling it now. We'll see you on FaceTime soon enough, I'm sure. It's off season for Luch. It doesn't matter, though. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure, buddy. All right. See you, guys. Thanks, Soupy. We'll be back to wrap up the latest episode of Cue the Memories presented by Bud Light right after this. Pro Shop powered by 47 at the Hub on Causeway is Bruins fans' one-stop shop to gear up for hockey season. Find the largest selection of authentic jerseys in the city, the latest in Bruins headwear from brands like 47, and even more exclusive black and gold merchandise. Visit the Pro Shop during your next visit to TD Garden or shop online anytime at bostonproshop.com. And we're back to wrap up another episode of Cue the Memories presented by Bud Light. Fair, I think we learned there that uh, Soupy, you know, he thrived here for a reason, right? He came, he appreciated being in a market like Boston. The fans took to him because of that, you know, there was a passion on both sides that someone like him could come in here and thrive the way that he did. It was very authentic, you know, the way that he... Yeah, cared about his teammates, cared about the city, took it as a genuine privilege to pull the jersey on, right? Um, it's kind of the ultimate insult, and I've used it before, you know, with, with certain players. That, um, <laughs> But there's a difference. Some players think the team is very privileged to have them, you know, on the team. Mm-hmm. And then some players feel very privileged to be on the team. Uh, there's a massive difference between the two, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can right. you can imagine which teams, you know, usually have a little bit more success. Supi was one of those guys that, uh, I think he, like you said, every single time he took a shift, I think he felt like it was a, a massive privilege. Um, and that's, uh, um, that's commendable. He grew up in, in an environment where he was surrounded by the NHL. You know, he was in, in the locker rooms as a kid. He was sleeping with the cup. You know, like for, for a lot of us, like that world was a fantasy. You know, we, we mm-hmm. only dreamed about it. We saw it on TV. We saw people win the cups as kids growing up. I mean, he lived it. He was there, right? So it was all very real to him. So I think it's uh, it, it's commendable for him to grow up that that way and, and uh, you know just be as authentic as you could possibly imagine, uh, you know, with caring and pride for uh, you know for that. So he, he was a just a fantastic teammate. All right, fair. Another episode. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time on Cue the Memories, presented by Bud Light.